Hi, this is Pastor Matt, and I want to welcome you to our Blue Oaks Church podcast. At the end of this episode, feel free to download our Blue Oaks Church app, where you'll be able to access resources, events, and ways to get connected at Blue Oaks and in the community. The app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around Blue Oaks. Most importantly, though, I just hope that you enjoy this episode and it inspires well, I want to say good morning and uh, welcome to everyone. Thank you for joining us online today at Blue Oaks Church. Uh, for those of you who are new to Blue Oaks, we are in week three of a series called Love, uh, The Greatest Commandment. We're using the book, The Five Love Languages, as a template for this series. Uh, at the core of the book is the idea that what makes me feel loved might not be what makes you feel loved. So we want to learn the love languages of the people in our lives so that we can learn to do a better job of loving. Uh, The five love languages are words of affirmation, quality time, giving of gifts, acts of servanthood, and physical touch. We're learning what are the love languages of the people in our lives. Now, I would say if there's one love language that more deeply reflects the heart of God as Jesus teaches about it, it might be the one we're talking about today. The most famous verse in the Bible is John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God loved, therefore God gave. You see, love gives. This, the gift doesn't have to be expensive. It doesn't have to cost a lot of money. It doesn't have to be fancy. It just has to say love. I was going through a bunch of keepsake items in my nightstand this last week, and I found a tattered piece of cardboard paper. Uh, it was colored with pictures on it. It also had some words that were written on it, kind of messy. It's labeled Best Dad, and these are the words. This is an award for being the number one dad. And a bunch of other nice things were written on it, and in it was a coupon for a free hug. And it was given to me uh, by my daughter. Now, do you think I would take $1,000 for that card? Of course I would. I mean, that's a dumb question. I mean, it's just a piece of cardboard. She can make another one. Uh, But the heart, the words behind it, the love, I mean, there's no price for that. Well, this week we're focusing on the love language of giving, and what I want to start with is some learning about the relationship of giving to this agape love, the kind of love Jesus taught about, Uh, this kind of love that is so revolutionary, his followers actually had to find a new word, uh, agape, to express it. If you weren't here for the first message in this series, uh, that's where we talked about what agape love means. Um, You might want to go back later and uh, catch up if you missed it. Well, there's a great book about giving called Gratitude and Intellectual History, written by a guy named Peter Lightheart. Um, A lot of what I'm teaching today, I learned from his book, and so I just want you to know that uh, I'm indebted to him for this message. Uh, I want to start with a question that may be obvious to some of you. Who had the biggest impact on giving? Uh, Who actually changed the nature of giving and our ideas about gratitude more than anyone else in human history? This is not a trick question. 
the teacher of a Sunday school class asked a group of kids one time, what's brown and furry, climbs trees, and eats nuts? And the kids just kind of looked at each other with a confused look on their faces, and no one answered. And the teacher said, what's brown and furry, climbs trees, and eat, eats nuts? And finally, a kid raised his hand and said, well, I guess the answer is Jesus, but it sure sounds like a squirrel to me. Uh, it wasn't a trick question. Uh, Jesus is the biggest, uh, had the biggest impact on giving. And I want to take some time uh, to look at this uh, because it will help us better understand Jesus and help us better understand the kind of love that he's describing uh, and also help us to be better able to give uh, to the people in our lives. Uh, so let me start with a little background. In the ancient world, the giving of gifts was very important. Uh, in some ways, maybe even more important than in our day. Uh, anthropologists have studied this quite a lot over the last century or so. Uh, because of the way economics worked in the ancient world, uh, they didn't have mar a market economy like we do with stores and weight structures. Generally, in the ancient world, gifts were given, but gifts were not free. Gifts were embedded into a system that meant they were, there were always strings attached to the giving. A gift would place the receiver under an obligation to, uh, to reciprocate. This was just understood in the ancient world. It's just how things worked, which meant the person who was able to give a more expensive gift was the person with a higher status or a higher honor or a higher power. And that gift would place the lower person, the poorer person, under obligation. The poorer person would have to give back through a service or time or labor in some way. And this created uh, what sometimes is called a circle of reciprocity. Uh, given the ancient, giving in the ancient world was about a circle of reciprocity. Uh, in Rome, this is generally true in the ancient world, in Jesus' day, the giver might be a patron. Uh, that's what they would call them uh, in, the, in the Roman society, a patron would give a gift, and the recipient or client would be obligated to show gratitude. Uh, the Latin word for gratitude was obsequium. Um, if you've ever heard the word obsequious, uh, the kind of fawning, uh, self-centered submission, uh, that's where it comes from. Uh, gratitude in the ancient world wasn't like a parent telling a child, you know, say thank you. It meant you were obligated to offer service in work or time or labor in exchange for what you received. Uh, you literally owed a debt of gratitude. Uh, that was the system of debt in which everyone lived. In the morning, if you were a client, you would present yourself at the house of your patron to pay your respects. Uh, you would surround your patron with other clients as his entourage, uh, that's actually where the term entourage comes from. Uh, you would accompany him to uh, the forum or the Roman bath. Uh, you would uh, clap for his speeches to make him feel good. You would address him as sir or king or father. Uh, now those who gave their, the larger gifts or the larger amounts of money are known as benefactors. This is kind of a, a technical term. Uh, they gave to intentionally impose debts, to impose an obligation of obedience that would increase their own honor or their own status or their own power. 
Uh, Lightheart writes this, a patron expected his clients to form an entourage to blow trumpets and shout his praises as the patrons passed through the streets of Rome. Uh, You would give your patron uh, a little parade. You know, my patron is the greatest. You see, gifts were exercises in power that established one's own superiority, and they were actually fairly competitive. Show of hands on this one. How many of you have heard of a white elephant gift? Uh, I can't see you, obviously, but thanks for your participation. Um, How many of you know where that term comes from? Well, the king of Siam would give a white elephant, which was, of course, incredibly rare and therefore regarded as a sacred gift, to a person who had fallen out of his favor, uh, to someone the king was mad at. Now, if the king gives you a white elephant, you couldn't sell it, you couldn't give it away. I mean, it was uh, too rare. Uh, This was just known. I mean, that would be an insult to the king. So you would actually have to keep it. Do you know how much it costs to maintain an elephant? I mean, it it would cost you a fortune. People would be ruined by this kind of strategic gift giving. That's where the phrase white elephant gift comes from. Now you can impress your coworkers around Christmas time. Now there would be variations about this system and debates about it. Uh, Aristotle actually said, you ought to work real hard to avoid receiving anything because the great souled man never wants to be in the position of receiving, he would say. You see, giving was largely a strategy to enrich yourself in order to get even more. Uh, They had a motto in Latin, uh, do ut des, uh, I give so you will give to me. Initially, people would say this to the gods, Jupiter, I give a lamb as a sacrifice to you so that you will give me rain for my crops. Eventually, it spread to the human level. I give to you so that you will give to me. The idea is in self-interest, you have received, in self-interest, give. So there was this system of reciprocity, of debt, in the ancient world. And the debt of gratitude was restricted. Um, You should be grateful, you should express concrete gratitude to your benefactor. You should be grateful for the benefits your benefactor has given you. And you should use whatever you have, whatever you give, in order to get more. Uh, This system of the debt of gratitude, the circle of reciprocity, Uh, It tended to oppress the poor. It tended to corrupt the rich. It tended to make everyone self-centered. Now, one person is going to mess all of this up, and of course, that person is Jesus. He takes from little Israel and gives to the broader world a different understanding of giving and gratitude. To begin with, he messes up the who. Who should we be grateful to? In the ancient world, it was your benefactor to the giver. But for Jesus, it was God. Jesus teaches that for all of us, our life depends not on our human benefactor who gives out of self-interest, but on a heavenly father who gives with no strings attached. That was very different from Jupiter or Zeus or Baal. Now God is at the center of this great circle of reciprocity. 
Because Jesus teaches people to give with this agape love, uh, the love that means to will and to act for the good of others. Um, That's why Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven, that you may be like your Father who is in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. In other words, God gives to everyone whether whether they're going to give back to him or not. And we ought to do the same. So what do we have to be grateful for? Well, according to Jesus, everything. Jesus is expanding the sphere of gratitude infinitely. God is always making the sun shine. He's always making the rainfall. He clothes the lilies of the field. He feeds the sparrows in their nests. He counts the hairs on your head. This is the reality in which we live. This is the kingdom of God. God is giving all the time. With every beat of your heart, with every breath of air filling up your lungs, that's why we have these statements from Jesus and his followers, give thanks in all circumstances, not just to your benefactor, for what you get. Uh, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks not to a a human benefactor, but to God the Father through Jesus. See, these verses were not just about having an attitude of gratitude. They were not mainly talking about a, a, a psychological trait, although, of course, the experience of emotional gratitude is a great gift. Uh, They were subversive. Now all of humanity is on level ground. We are all to be grateful to a single person, to our Heavenly Father. We're to be grateful for every single innumerable gift. Because we all rely on God's goodness from one moment to the next, there is no place for the old, fawning, self-centered, self-promoting system anymore. Jesus says, So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Now, the reason Jesus says don't announce it with trumpets is because people were actually announcing it with trumpets. They would literally do that. Jesus is not making this stuff up out of thin air. He's saying, we're going to stop with this system now. We have a newer system. We have a better system. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles, like the Romans, lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. He he, he uses precisely that same word. But you are not to be like that. You are not to do that. Instead, for you, the least will be the greatest. Now, when Jesus says this, he's not using hyperbole. Uh, He's not being sarcastic. He's simply giving a sociologically precisely accurate description. The Romans would have heard those words and said, yep, that's how our system works. We lord it over people. Uh, We have benefactors. Jesus says, no, we're going to start a new system. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Now, when Jesus says, don't call anyone on earth father, he doesn't mean kids shouldn't call their dad, dad. He means we all stand together in common, humble humanity under a great and generous God. He's changing everything. All right, so who should be enriched by your gratitude? These are fundamental questions about giving and gratitude. 
In the old ancient system, it was those who could pay you back. You give to people who can give you back. And Jesus says, I want you to give even when it's not to your financial advantage. In fact, Jesus actually gives priority to gifts that would go to those who could not pay back. And he knows he has to overturn a big entrenched system. That's what's behind words like this from Jesus. When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they will invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Now, is Jesus saying it's a sin to have your relatives over for dinner? Yes, it's right there in Scripture. I mean, that's what he says. Uh, Some of you have been searching for that verse your whole life, and you're so glad that you're watching online today. Okay, so he's not saying that. Uh, What he is saying is, okay, everyone, we're going to opt out of this old give and get system now. Of course, sometimes have your family over for dinner, of course, But what he's saying is, when you give to the poor, you're somehow giving to God himself. That's why he says, whatever you did for one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it for me. Um, See, the old motto was, in self-interest you have received, in self-interest give. The new motto of Jesus' agape love is, freely you have received, freely give. This is just incredible. I mean, he's changing the whole world system of giving. Now God is at the center of humanity. You see, now we're all alike. Now we're all receivers of God's unceasing gifts. Now we express our gratitude through joyful generosity. This is just revolutionary. For example, James writes in the letter, his letter in the New Testament, don't be deceived, my brothers and sisters. Now, he writes this because people are actually being deceived. Every good and perfect gift, not from your human benefactor, is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. God is our patron. That's why James goes on. And by the way, we read this letter from James about a new way the rich and the poor must be treated in this new community. And so James says, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. The apostle Paul writes to the followers of Jesus in Rome, in Rome of all places, words he designed to stagger Rome. Owe no debt to anyone except the debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Now, Paul is not giving money management advice here. He's not saying you should never take out a loan. He's rejecting an entire way of life that oppresses, enslaves, humiliates, patronizes, and corrupts human beings. And he's embracing a radically different way, the way of Jesus, where we all trust God will meet our needs. And so we become part of a community of mutual humility and confident generosity that honors the value of every human life. That put Rome on tilt. And he knew it would. That's why even though the New Testament is filled with command after command to be grateful, 
the Romans charged the early Christians with ingratitude. That's what they charged them with, being ungrateful. There's a reason for that. Uh, the Roman emperor Diocletian found, found out one of his favorites, a man named Sebastian, had become a Christian, and this is what he said. Ingrate, I have given you first rank in my palace, and you have striven against me and my gods. And he tied Sebastian to a stake and shot him full of arrows. Now, why would he call him an ingrate? You see, it's because Sebastian broke the circle of reciprocity that Rome and the Roman emperor was built on. In the emperor's way of thinking, I gave to you, I made you first, you owe to me to worship my gods. You owe to me to make me rich. You owe to me to pump up, pump up my ego. You owe to me to do what I tell you to do. See, Christians made their gratitude extend as far as God, and they made their generosity extend to the poorest of the poor who were unable to pay them back. This is from Peter Lightheart. The emphasis on charity to the poor and the inclusion of God in the circle of reciprocity were unprecedented in the ancient treatment of giving and generosity, and this changed our world. I don't know how else to say this, so I'm just going to say it. If you still think of agape love as this soft, romanticized, uh, sentimental concept, know that it was not. I mean, it was an idea of enormous substance. It was an irresistible force. It was taught and embodied by this man, Jesus of Nazareth, he intentionally formed a community around him to test its strength. And that community, with absolutely no resources or power, was pitted up against the unprecedented wealth and might of the Roman Empire, and that little agape loved kicked Rome's butt. Uh, I don't know how to say that in a better churchy way. And I just want to ask, at this point in this series... Have you received God's greatest gift? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And there has never been anyone, and I just want to invite you to test this out, there has never been anyone who taught us what God is like, like Jesus. One of the most popular gifts in our day are gift cards, uh, but sometimes they don't get used. Uh, have you ever gotten a gift card for Christmas or for your birthday or for something else? You know how those cards have a way of finding the junk drawer or um, getting lost or getting thrown out? Uh, well, a study what is done on this recently, uh, just for fun, if you're sitting next to someone, tell them how much money you think is in the world in unused gift cards. So just tell the person next to you how much you think it is, how much money. I mean, if you put all the gift cards together, how much cash do you think that would be worth? Tell the person next to you. Well, I read this in a study last week. In a 10-year period between 2005 and 2015, there was $45 billion that went unspent in gift cards. Just in 2019, Walmart made $1.9 billion on unused gift cards. Amazon made $2.8 billion in 2018. Uh, Starbucks made $1.6 billion in 2018. In the industry, they call these cards unredeemed. And here's the point. 
God is in the redeeming business. God wants to give you the forgiveness of your sins through this man named Jesus, through his life and his death on the cross and his resurrection. God wants to give you a fresh start in your life. God wants to give you the power of his spirit to guide you and to protect you and to care for you. Uh, God wants to give you the love of brothers and sisters all around the world, every culture, every century, every civilization. God wants to give you spiritual gifts to empower you. He wants to give you uh, a purpose for your life to sustain you and the hope of eternal life to comfort you beyond the grave. You see, that will just lie in a drawer unused somewhere if you don't actually receive it. So how do you receive it? It's real simple. Uh, You just pray a prayer of confession. And you can pray it with me if you want to. Uh, God, I have sinned, and I don't come before you as someone who has any claim on you, God. Uh, I don't have you in my debt. I am in your debt, God. And I just receive your love and your forgiveness and your friendship and your power as a free gift. And you know, God will do that for you if you ask him. And then Jesus calls us to love. And that's why we're a church. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you're my disciples if you love one another. The church is just about love. And this week, If you love people out of the abundance of God's generous gifts to you, practice speaking the love language of giving gifts. Just say, you know, this week I will offer to God and to uh, the people around me a giving heart. And for some of you, that will mean starting with your toilet paper stash. (laughs) Uh, What is going on with the toilet paper hoarding uh, frenzy? I, can, I get hand sanitizer and disinfectant wipes, but toilet paper, I just don't get it. Um, well, there's a little switch in your heart where you can ask God to move you from a reluctant giver to a motivated giver. Last Sunday morning, my wife and two daughters were listening to me teach about how love is spelled T-I-M-E. Um, we talked about expressing love through quality time. And so my youngest daughter asked me on Monday, Dad, would you read with me? This is a way we can spend quality time together. Uh, My immediate response, honestly, in my spirit was, man, I don't have time right now, and I don't really like how you're using what I taught to manipulate me into getting what you want. Uh, Now, I love my daughter, and I'm teaching this whole series about learning how to do that better. Uh, Some of you might know this. The Apostle Paul was talking once about the kind of attitude or heart God wants us to give with. And Paul says, to not give reluctantly, for God loves a cheerful giver. And I'll let you in on a little secret. So does everyone else. It's amazing how subtly but clearly my heart can communicate itself. I can say, okay, fine, I'll read with you. In other words, you have successfully placed this burden on me. I will do it because I can't think of a smooth way to get out of it, but I'll make my response in this moment unpleasant enough to make it less likely that you'll ask again next time. Am I the only one who does this kind of thing? Uh, Does anyone else know what I'm talking about? 
Or I could say, you know, I have a great daughter, and I could give a tiny little gift that would cost me almost nothing and communicates love. Because love gives, and giving wins. Giving heals, giving bonds, giving connects, giving gives life. Giving is the best way to live. I've been focused this week because of this message on giving, and it's so interesting. Every time I freely give, I think, you know, why don't I do this more? I mean, it's really the best way to live. I love how giving gives life to the person who gives. God has set up the universe so that you cannot authentically give without receiving. It changes the receiver, and it changes you. My wife and I decided to surprise our daughter with an iPhone 11 for her 14th birthday. Uh, It's her first phone, and she had no idea it was coming. And I have to tell you, I got as much joy out of planning that surprise and giving that gift to Lily as she did in receiving it. Uh, Giving is just that way. A lot of you know I taught on giving last month, and we have a group of people in our church that are participating in the tithe challenge right now. Uh, They made an agreement, I'm going to take the first 10% of my income, uh, like the writers of Scripture teach, and I'm going to give it to God. Uh, And they're going to do that for three months, and if it's not sustainable, we said we're going to give the money back to them. Uh, It's been such a great journey for so many people that are involved in this. Uh, One of the guys I talked to said, the biggest surprise uh, was as I give more, I find that I love God more. I knew my giving would grow, but I didn't know my heart would grow. Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And that statement is as important for marriages and for families and for relationships as it is for financial stewardship. Now, a gift doesn't have to cost anything. Uh, Sometimes they can just be fun. I have a friend who is uh, great at connecting with people. He sends little notes, you know, you would love this article or you would love this book. And he'll text a funny cartoon or something like that. Uh, He sent me a text last week with a product that has to do with hair growth that I won't tell you about. But he said, I saw this and thought of you. Uh, He has a weird sense of humor. But sometimes uh, just getting a text or an email or a note from someone is a gift. Uh, Just knowing someone cares. Another thing you can do is uh, be like a giving detective. Like be on the lookout for clues about people in your life. Especially those who speak this love language of giving gifts. And when you find out something they want, then get it for them. I know a person like this. If, if she's with someone and they say something about something that they would like, uh, she makes a mental note of it and she gets it for them. And that's just the way that she is. Uh, if I was talking about how much I like butter chews from Seas Candy, you know, then at Christmas or a birthday or for no reason at all, I'll just I'll find a box of butter chews on my desk. Again, this isn't bartering. This isn't like using this quality uh, that you find in someone to to get stuff from them in a sly way. Just because I mentioned how much I love butter chews from C's Candy, I don't expect anyone to get any of them for me. Uh, Even though I suppose more than anything else in the world, I love butter chews from C's Candy uh, and Ducati motorcycles, those two things. 
maybe you have someone in your life and God is calling you to do a week-long campaign of gifts. Just buy a gift once a day for that person this week. You know, one of the most moving stories in Gary Chapman's book on the five love languages is about a couple, uh, Doug and Kate. Uh, Kate told Gary Chapman about how for years she had been complaining to Doug about how empty their marriage was, uh, but she felt nothing coming back. She said it reached the point where she actually hated him. And then they learned about the five love languages, and Doug realized for the first time that receiving gifts was his wife's love language which kind of flipped a switch in his heart. And that week on Monday afternoon, he brought home a rose, just one rose, and he gave it to Kate, and she started to cry. And Tuesday, he called home and asked, how about if I bring some pizza home for you and the kids for dinner? She said he had never done that. And when he got home, she gave him a hug. Wednesday, he brought all the kids home a box of Cracker Jacks. Do you remember Cracker Jacks? Uh, I bought Cracker Jacks for Ezra recently, um, that little prize in the box, man, it's the greatest thing in the world. And Doug brought uh, Kate a potted plant. He said, I know the rose will die, and I thought I might want, you might want something that would stick around for a while. Thursday night, it was a card saying he had never been able to express love very well, but hoped that the card would help him to do it, inviting her for a date on Saturday. Friday night, he took her to a cookie store, for her favorite cookie. And this is what she said, Dr. Chapman, you have to understand this man had never given me a flower since the day we got married. He had never given me a card. He said it's a waste of money. You just look at it and throw it away. Doug looked at his wife and said, I'm sorry for all those years I was so lost. With God's help, I'm gonna be a gift giver for the rest of my life. She said, well, you can't go on like this every day. You can't afford it. He said, well, maybe not every day, but I can do it once a week, and that would be 52 weeks per year, more than you've received in the last five years put together. And with God's help, a marriage got reborn because it's all about love, and love gives. God so loved the world that he gave. Let's go out and do that this week. And then next week, we're going to learn about a love language that can maybe change a relationship faster than any other. All right, well, let me close in prayer. Would you bow your heads with me? God, thank you so much that you are the great gift giver. Uh, We remember now so many gifts. God, the gift of life, our families, our bodies, our minds, our health, our friends, our our jobs, our food, our clothes, music, sunrises, sunsets, just gift after gift, God, you give all of them to us. God, thank you so much for being such a generous God. And God, we thank you especially for the gift of your son. God, would you help us to be gift givers? I mean, there are people all around us who are just waiting to be loved. Would you help us to love them? Help us to have generous hearts and become cheerful givers. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, If you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our weekend services. We meet on Sunday mornings at 8.45, 10, and 11.15. Uh, For directions or information about 
what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today.